convicted. I remember singing this song in worship, but I just remember saying, man, God, it's just like that. It's just like this animal. Uh, John Mark McMillan wrote a song, uh, came out on an album earlier this year, and he says, he says, like a deer to the pool. Like a thirsty animal, like cause sometimes we, you know, we have a picture of this nice little tame deer, you know, it's kind of going up and drinking from a, you know, some clean water or something. But you, you got to understand this story when the, when the sons of Korah wrote this song that they weren't singing about some nice little friendly pet deer that was all clean, but they're talking about a mangy, filthy animal, dirty deer that was running from its life running for, from, for its life from things that were trying to kill it. And, and so they said, man, just like a deer that's been running all night and been trying to just survive, and he comes up and he's just looking for water. He's hunting for water. He's being hunted, but now he's hunting for water because he is panting. It's, that's how my soul is. And it says in Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As a deer pants for streams of water. So my soul pants for you. He's like, they were saying, man, God, it's just like that. It's like, I am thirsty. I need a drink to survive. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go? And I love this, how they say, where can I go to meet with God? How can I get in God's presence? Because God's presence is what I crave. God's presence is what I need. You know, the kingdom of God is not reserved for perfect people. Come on. It's not, it's not, it's not a reserved for a certain race or a certain gender or a specific demographic a society. The kingdom of God is reserved for hungry people, for desperate people, for people that are needy. Are you needy this morning? For people that have a longing inside of them, a craving like these thirsty animals. Matthew chapter 5, it says, Jesus, when he got up, uh, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And Jesus starts laying out the Beatitudes, the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, it's like Jesus's, you know, Turing message. You know, it's like, like the book, if, if Jesus wrote a book, this is what he was going to write it on. Right? The Sermon on the Mount. It's like these are the, the most important things. These are the crucial things. And he starts off, and this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice he didn't say blessed are those that, man, are, are happy. Blessed are those who are rich in spirit. No, 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 no. He said blessed are those who are like animals that are, that are panting, that are poor in spirit. That word right there, poor in spirit, actually means to be like a beggar. Be like the beggars of the day. Not like the beggars of today, but really poor people. People that didn't have anything. That would go out and sit on the street corners and cry out for their next meal. They, they would have a desperation to go out to, to do extreme measures to get something that they needed. He said, blessed are those that are like that in spirit. Beggars in spirit. For they, for theirs is the kingdom. So the kingdom isn't reserved for people that have it all figured out. It's reserved for the hungry. It's reserved for the desperate. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then he goes into all these things that happen when we're like that. What, what is it? He's just talking about a disposition of spirit. People that are broken down. People that are humble. People that are needy. 
Come on. We talk so much about ourselves, like we've got it all figured out, and we want everybody in our Jesus is like, man, if you could just come to me with a relentless abandon that says, I, I don't really care, like, the opinions of people. I'm not that great. I need God. These are the people. Blessed are those who are poor. Or, or blessed are the, or the, or the poor, for, they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed, blessed are the meek. The meekness means a, a, dis, a mild disposition of spirit, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the ambitious. This is what the world says. Man, if you're ambitious, if you're very goal-driven, you'll change the world. Jesus said, no, if you're meek and needy, the world will be transformed. The world will belong to you if you will be needy. Isn't that a total different message that the world preaches? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Those that will be filled will those be those that are hungry. So I want to provoke you this next month. I want to stir your heart that you would be a, a man and a woman who is hungry for God. That you wouldn't just get caught up in the mundaneness of life. And this is for me, man, sometimes I know sometimes I start getting a little bit of routine. I'm like, God, I need you. I need you here, regardless of what my routine looks like. No matter how noble or ignoble it is, God, I need you in my routine. I need Jesus. And so I found my play, my, myself being like this, like constantly in need for God. Like you would think, I, I, you would think after like 21 years, I mean, some of you aren't even that old yet. You would think that after that long that I would settle down, that I'd just be content with the measure of God I have. But what I'm finding is it's like this wormhole, and I'm like, I'm stuck in it. I'm like, I need more. It's this vacuum that says, yeah, you need more and more and more. And it's not about things. Come on. And it's not about the tangibles, but it's about his presence, which can become a tangible. But we are all hunt, we are all being hunted. We're being hunted by life. Come on, we're being hunted by circumstances, situations. We're being hunted by our enemy. But we're also all on a hunt. We're on a hunt. You're hunting for something. What are you hunting for? Are you hunting for success? What is the hunt of your life? Are you hunting for just a better marriage? Are you hunting for uh, a spouse? Are you hunting just to raise good children? All those things are great, and they will all fall along in, in line if you seek first the kingdom, Jesus taught us. But the problem is, is we start hunting these things that are supposed to be the fruit of our life rather than hunting the man Jesus. One of my favorite hunters in Scripture is King David. The crazy thing about David is that David didn't have Jesus. He experienced the presence, but he didn't have the access that we have. What's sad is most of us are, have colder hearts than David, and we don't even have the access that he had. We didn't, he didn't have the, the, the constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would come upon him and then go. But he longed to have that. This was what was in his heart. He, David was continually pursued by his enemies. 
continually. He was continually pursued by the Philistines. Then he came and he honored Saul. And then Saul began to pursue him, try to take his life. And then later on, his son Absalom began to hunt David down. And some of the Psalms that we read in the book of Psalms, some of the songs that David wrote were in times where he was desperate and he was running and he was chasing and he, and he, and he longed for those days where he could be back in God's presence because God's presence is more associated than a, with a place than a person. But let me just tell you this today. If you're going to play a significant role in history, you'll have enemies. You'll be hunted. So don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised. Don't blow up your social media when negativity comes your way. Because if you will ever do anything, and I've said this many times, if the devil's not on your back, he's on your side. If you're going to do anything significant, there is a target on you. That says, stop this guy. I don't know about you, but I want to be that guy when I wake up, the demons freak out. That they're like, oh, crap. He's awake again. Right? I want to be that guy. That we don't get surprised when we're being attacked. We don't react to trouble. We expect it. We expect opposition. It will come because we are being hunted. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul was being hunted. You know, we, it's funny, the gospel that we preach so many times. Oh, look at the gospel. Look how many times Paul was beaten. I mean, he was killed. He died for his faith. He was killed. He did not have the blessed life that we would that we would think in America, what we would call the blessed life. He had a blessed life, but it was not what we would call it and write books about. In fact, that book probably wouldn't sell very well today. Maybe in a church that has more persecution, which I believe is coming to America. And then we'll separate the chaff and the wheat. All right, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. How could he have this resolve? Because he was on a hunt as well. He said, I haven't done anything. If you're reading Philippians, he's like, he's like, all the things that I've accomplished, I haven't done anything. I just press it on. I'm just going forward. I'm going forward to know God who is, or to lay hold of God who has laid hold of me. I'm going after this to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is Paul's goal, that he would know Jesus. That he would know the man that he had once encountered. Come on, are you with me? So David, back to David. David is being hunted, but he had fallen prey to a greater hunter. He wasn't hunting for royalty. Right? Royalty hunted him down. Remember a little shepherd boy out tending sheep? And here comes a man that he had never, or one of his brothers said, Hey, Saul, uh, Samuel's here and he wants to talk to you. He's like, well, can't you see I'm doing my job? I'm, okay. How many know that, that whenever he showed up, that that's when Samuel anointed him as king? He wasn't hunting for royalty. Royalty hunted him down. He wasn't hunting for greatness. Greatness hunted him down. He wasn't hunting for favor. Favor was hunting him down. David is hunted, hunted down by the hunter God who found a man with a pure heart. We talked about in our last series that the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro the whole earth to look for those whose hearts are completely perfect towards him. 
But David was on the right hunt. He was after God's presence. I believe even as a shepherd boy, he would be out there. And we read some of the Psalms when he wrote, penned the 23rd Psalm about the Lord is my shepherd. These are songs that he sit out whenever he was watching sheep. And he was just crying out to his shepherd. And he's saying, God, I need you. I, I need your leading. I need your guiding. He wasn't pursuing success. Success pursued him because he had his gaze fixed on the presence of God. What made King David great? What, what, made, what made him so great that thousands of years later that the, the symbol of Israel would be the star of David? The greatest king that ever lived. What made him great? Was it, he, was it that he slayed Goliath? Was it his ability to lead? Was it his ability to write great songs that would be sung thousands of years later? No. All of these things were results of his greatness. Because David found greatness because he found that God's presence was the greatest place to be. David found greatness because he found his greatness in God's presence, not outside of it. But many of us, we want to go and we want to be great and we want God to endorse it. But God's saying, will I be great? Will my presence be great enough in whatever you're doing? It was the longing in his heart that made him great. God's presence is what he longed for. It's what he hunted for. It was the pursuit of his life. So a millennial later, a thousand years later, Paul says this about David. He says, the God in Acts chapter 13, verse 17, the God of the nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of slavery. And he put up with them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that he destroyed seven nations of Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. This took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Notice it didn't say he will do everything I want him to do and he'll chase my heart. No, no, no. He'll be a man after my heart and everything he does will fall in line with what I want. This, was, this is what we know David as. Not just a great king, but as, as one whose heart was after God. That he maintained this deep desire that his greatness was in God's presence. It wasn't found by how many people knew his name or how many people followed his leading. This is proven when Absalom come up to take the kingdom from David. He, Absalom would set up outside the city gate and people would come to complain to the king. And Absalom would say, hey, listen, if I was king... I would do things a little bit different. So what he did is he began to persuade the hearts of the people towards him by conniving his father, David, and he, be, he created an army and then in an attempt to overthrow the kingdom and take over his king, his dad. So David, what does he do? Does he fight for his kingdom that he has? No, he runs and he seeks for God. He had everything that he could have and he said, it's not really that important. 
I just want to go to a place where I can be with God. So here he is in Psalm 63, and this is when David writes this psalm. He was in, he was in, the, uh, in the desert land, and here he is being hunted, probably hanging out in a cave or underneath a, a tent that he made. And he says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body in this parched and weary land, in this desert where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you. Meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings and I cling to you. Your strong hand holds me securely. A man on a hunt. A man hunting for God's presence. Today I want to remind you that the single greatest need in your life is the presence of Jesus. It's the single greatest need in your life. Where there's sickness, you need healing. Where is it? It's in the presence of Jesus. You mean sadness? What do you need? Joy. Where is it? It's in his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's no lack. Where there's frustration... It's peace. He's got it. He's got it. So don't seek peace. Don't pay doctors thousands of dollars to to tell you that you're depressed. You already know that. Don't pay some, don't, you don't have to go buy a book to tell you to get your priorities straight. Jesus already laid it out for you. There's nothing wrong with reading books. There's no, nothing wrong with going to doctors. But I'm telling you that everything we really need is in his presence. And if we will make that the goal of our life, if we will make his presence and his kingdom the goal of his life, then all these things will be added unto us. I'm telling you, I've lived this for 20 years. I've never been out on the streets, almost. But it didn't happen. I've never gone lack. I've never never been broke that I couldn't pay the bills. It's never happened. Maybe it's happened to you. I don't know. But I know for me, for 21 years, I've been doing this thing. And I've never been failed by God. Because he is what I seek. The problem is, is when we start seeking other things, that's when we're disappointed. That's when we're in despair. That's when we're discouraged. That's when our marriages crumble. That's when relationships crumble. It's when we start making those the goal rather than Jesus. It's really about priority. It's the single greatest need in our life is the presence of Jesus. Our greatest need is more of him, more of his reality, more of his substance in my home. You know, when I, when I have battles with, with, with our kids and things like that, they don't, they don't just need a spanking. They might need that from time to time. They need Jesus. As innocent as they may be, they need Jesus. They don't need me to talk them out of something. They need Jesus. The moment we stop living our lives without him and we ask him to bless what we do. 
God, would you just would you just do what I want to do? Lord, would you just bless me at my job? Would you just bless me and my family? Because it's not getting the blessing. When you make him the prize, the blessing comes. When you seek the kingdom, everything just kind of comes together. Notice Solomon, one of the things that he said, I listened to a great message by Bill Johnson. He talked about, you know, all the riches and all the things that Solomon ever, ever had. Those are things that he never asked for. He just asked for wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all this other stuff. We've got to start seeking the right thing. When we seek the right thing, the other things follow. David's greatness was found because he found his greatness in God. So how do we cultivate spiritual hunger? I can tell you this right now. It's work, man. It's work. The first thing you have to do if you're going to embrace, the first thing you have to do if you're going to cultivate spiritual hunger is you've got to learn to embrace moments. Embrace moments. Like today we had this time of worship. Embrace that. Embrace that moment. You, you, don't, build, you don't build an idol out of it, but you build a monument there. And monuments are good things. We see this through scripture. We see this all throughout scripture. That people build up monuments. And they talk about, remember God in the days of your youth. Remember when God, it's good to have these moments. They don't become our idols. We don't live from them. But we, we say, God did this in my life. This is great. So embrace moments. I love what he says here in Psalm 63. He said, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. What was David talking about? David was talking about here he was in the desert, in a cave probably somewhere, hiding out. And he's saying, you know what, God? I remember. I remember when I was in the temple and I gazed and I looked at you. I remember those moments. And so he had this as a reference point, as a point of reference, a grid for the presence that he was about to experience in his despair. So what we've got to do is we've got to go after, we've got to embrace these moments that happen. When God stirs your heart, don't just kind of push it off. You know, I have these, um, sometimes I call God Jehovah Sneaky because sometimes, sometimes I'll be like sitting in my office and like just God just like shows up. And I mean, God's always there. We know that. But how many of you know that you know that there's, there's times that God, God's always there, but sometimes God shows up. And so I'll have these times where I'm just sitting there. I'm not doing anything. I might be like working on a video or something. And then it's just like God shows up and I'm, oh, right? Those moments, we must, we must embrace them. Because those are God, heaven inviting us. Saying, will you let me have your attention for just a minute? And then out of those, we embrace those moments. David is remembering those times. I love to share stories of people about how God rocked me, how God has done things in my life. They're great points of references. They're not idols. They're not, they're not things I camp around and go, oh, I wish that would happen again. Mm-mm. Because I believe God wants to do something greater than he's ever done. God loves his memories that you share with him. But he wants to create new ones. And so embrace the moments. David wasn't currently in the temple, but he was still after what was in the temple. The presence. David had a taste of the sanctuary. I love uh, Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So many people stop there. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, yeah, God's good, God's good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. 
God's presence is good. We love his presence. But we really get pleasure. We really get enjoyment. Whenever we take refuge there, when we camp in his presence, when these moments come where we taste, do we just walk away like, a, like it's some kind of, um, you know, tasting session when we're, you know, on this cruise, they, you go to these places and people are passing. And when you go to Sam's, you know how it is? You go to Sam's and they're like, hey, do you want to, you want to taste, you want a little flavor? Do you want, why? Because they're, they're hoping that you'll taste it and buy it. Well, for us, a lot of times we just kind of go through, through the kingdom and we just kind of take these little taste tests. And we're like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. This would be pretty nice to take home, but we don't. Right? Right? Oh, a little taste. When I, I remember when growing up in Odessa, when Sam's first opened, we would go to Sam's just so we could get samples. <laughs> we'd go buy big soda, you know, for like a, like a quarter. <laughs> we'd walk around Sam's with our quarter soda, drink it, eat samples, and go fill up our soda before we left. But we were just tasting and seeing. But how many of you know that, that it's different to taste it than it is to take the product home? God wants us to have the joy of when we take refuge in him, that when we take him home, that we don't just come and experience something on Sundays, that we take it home, that we make it our dwelling. Number two, we've got to recognize the value of his presence. We, we talked about this a lot today, that his presence is, is the most important thing that we have I love what David says here, back to the psalm. It says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. It's better than life itself. God's love, we sung about that this morning. Your love never fails. It's his unfailing love is better than life. His love is better than your life. So when your life, when you're struggling... His love is better. Make his love the goal. Then you won't be discouraged. Then you won't be like tossed back and forth between every situation and every circumstance. You won't be, uh, you won't need uh, Prozac. You don't need Prozac. You need his presence. Well, I have his presence. Apparently not. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being on Prozac. Or it's just a chemical. Well, Jesus can fix that. So you don't, Prozac may help for a little while, but how many of you know when you get off Prozac, you still have a problem? How about let's fix the problem? Jesus has a solution. His love is better than life. Do you believe that his presence is the greatest place to be? I ask you that question this morning. Do you believe that his presence? I know that it's the right answer. I know you know the right answer. I know you know the answer, but do you believe that? Do you believe it? Or is it a place that you just casually visit? Maybe once a week, maybe two or three times a week. It's so much more valuable than my time. You know, I, I've got all, so many things that, that I could do in a given week that I need to get done in a given week, but nothing is more important than me taking a few minutes to set aside and just worship God. Nothing is more important in my life than that. Not, not going to work, not spending time with my wife or my kids. There's nothing more important in my life than the presence of Jesus. In fact, I'm going to suck at the rest of my life if I don't get that down. If that is not the core of my life, if that is not what my life is centered around, I will not be the best husband I can be. I will be the best husband I can be if his presence is what I seek. It's all about a priority of his presence. 
We've got we've to recognize, we've got to realize that it is incredibly valuable. David found greatness in God's presence. His longing for God is what made him great. It was that, that desire in him that said, I need God. I need God. I need God. This is why God picked him. And it never changed. That goal in his life never changed. I remember when I came to Jesus, you know, as a young man, 18 years old, I remember that people would just speak this negative prophecy over me. They would go, oh, you'll calm down one day. I hope not. I hope I don't ever calm down. I hope I don't ever get so, so consumed with other things and other people's issues that I can calm down. I don't ever want to calm down. And I don't, I don't ever want to make apologies for being passionate for God or being passionate for the kingdom. I don't want to make apologies. I'm not going to make apologies for it. It's what I want. And it ain't changing. Just be content in the love of God. I am. And I'm finding it. I'm content in my identity. I'm totally accepted as a son. I'm not striving for this. I'm striving from this. This is the place we live from. It's our reference point. His presence is so valuable. Number three. Number one, embrace moments. Number two, create more. Number number two would be recognize the value of his presence. Number three, create more moments. When is the last time that you had a real encounter with God? It should have been just a few moments ago. Or right now, hearing the word, that's when it should have been. It shouldn't have been months ago or, you know, it should be something that is ongoing in your life. Here David says, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lay awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. He was obsessed. I want another moment, God. I'm a junkie for Jesus. I want more of your presence. One of the things I love about Jeremy so much is he's always like, I just want to have another encounter with God. I just, there, that is like where we need to be. It's all about the next encounter with God. Drink. Come on. Number three. That's where we're at. Creating more moments. Set aside time to indulge. What is your schedule like? What does it revolve around? Revolve around work, revolve around movie show, NBA playoffs. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what do you, what is the pivot point of your life? What are you revolving around? Oh, Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus. Well, so how much time have you invested in God's presence this week? You're not going to be hungry unless you take the taste. You know, they had these pizzas. We went to Sam's. And like, and so, you know, they had those little things and you taste it and you're like, it's good. Well, now all of a sudden, like, you want to buy the thing, right? Well, you would never know that you wanted it unless you tasted it. That's their whole scheme, those suckers. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to build your palate for it. Right? Did you know that his presence is an acquired taste? God's presence is an acquired taste. You don't love the presence of God. 
If you're lost, if you've never experienced, you don't just oh, you don't wake up loving God's presence. It's quite the opposite. Even when you get saved, you probably don't really love being in God's presence all the time, right? It's an acquired taste. The more that you get it, the more that you want it. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. The more that you realize that you need to pray. The more time that you worship, the more that you love worship. The more that you need that you, the more that you realize that you need to worship. I'm telling you, it's a wormhole, man. It's crazy. So create more moments. Just create more moments. They might not be 45 minutes. It might be five seconds. Create moments. He said, well, I'll just wait for God to show up. No, no, no. He, he's, he's got an ongoing appointment. Like, it's, it's an it's a open door to heaven. Like, the appointment is, is set. When is, God's, when, when is God's appointed time for you? Always. That's God's, God's always accessible to you. It's an open appointment, right? It's open house, right? You guys ever been to an open house where they open a house up and they're like, oh, come see the house. Heaven is an open house. There's always an invitation. He's always saying, come, come, drink, come on, come in. He's always saying, here it is, open. So we have to create the moments to say, God, I'll go there. Now, sometimes he just sneak in by his grace and go, boo, right? And we're like, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Woo, yeah. Just, I love it when he does that. But most of the time, it's a place. There's, he already prepared a place, but you've got to sit down. You've got to create the moment. A few minutes before you sleep, a few minutes after you wake up, whatever it is, start with something. Well, I don't have the time. Well, then you have wrong priorities. I don't have the time to pray every day. Well, then you're doing it wrong. I've got all this going on. Don't even tell me. You want to sit down and compare schedules and how much you got going on? I can do that with you. I'll be happy to. You don't have a time problem. You have a priority problem. I'm not trying to guilt trip you into this. I'm trying to tell you there's something for you. And it's there, but you got to want it. Oh, I do want it. Well, then let's see. I'll show you your desperation by God by looking at your schedule. Okay. I would also just say this, like talking about, you know, just wherever you're at. I don't, I don't mean to be insensitive if, if you're not there yet. But listen, sometimes you can just change things out. Like instead of watching a movie tonight, have a prayer meeting. Go to a prayer meeting. Instead of listening to a song that just entertains you, listen to a song that draws you to worship. It's just like three and a half minutes. And some songs are like 15 minutes. I like those songs. I mean, you got YouTube. You could, you know, you could be like in a, in a Bethel session in like 30 seconds. Right? You mean an Ahab session and. 24-7, you can just, we've, we've got this accessible place. If you need help going there, there's all these tools that God's provided for you to go. Worship CDs, the video, if that's your thing, whatever it is. If you play an instrument, if you don't play an instrument, you got a voice, you can sing in your car, turn the radio off and sing. Do it with your family. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be awkward. We had a little thing. I, I told our kids, I started, I started, let's sing, let's worship together. Mariah I was like, this is awkward. <laughs> <It's> like, 
I, I think I was singing it wrong or something. Okay. Listen, our hunger must go beyond a Sunday morning experience. Or a Sunday morning experience is all you'll have. If it's, if it's all you got, it's all you have. If that's all you're getting. Welcome to complacency. If that's all you got. The more time you spend with him, the more time you'll want to spend with him. And God has something fresh every day. Luke 11.3, Jesus and the prayer of Jesus. What did he say? First started off talking about kingdom as he always did. Because it's a priority. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Notice he didn't say weekly bread. We, we get this reference from uh, Exodus when the children of Israel went in the desert and God provided them bread every day to eat. Remember? And they started complaining about it. Manna, huh? Manna, huh? Well, there it is, manna. Right? They didn't even know what to call it, so they called it, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? They're like, hey, you want some what is it? Right? They're eating, what is it? I don't know, what is it? Yes. Right? Let's eat some what is it? Right? Every day? Did you know that if they tried to store that manna, they put it in a jar and say, hey, let's save this manna for tomorrow. Do you know that tomorrow, whenever they went and they opened up their manna, that it would be full of worms? That the thing that brought nourishment to them would actually become poison? The thing that was supposed to sustain them actually would kill them. We can't live off yesterday's manna. Sunday isn't enough to get you through the whole week. Tomorrow's got bread of its own. We love to be together. We love to do it together. We love it. I love it. I love, man, I love Sunday mornings. I love to be here with you guys. I love to worship God with you guys. But my walk with God is not developed on that. It's a great compass. It's a great reference point. It's a great moment. But it is not what I live for. I live for his presence, and that invades me every day. Psalm chapter 84, David says, how lovely. I know I'm, I'm finishing up here. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord with all my heart and my flesh. Cry out. Isn't that interesting that David said that? I'll even give you fleshly worship. I remember when I first got saved, I went to this church. How many of y'all will give me five minutes? Five, ten, fifteen. Nah, just kidding. I, went, I didn't go to this church. I went to this youth camp. And uh, this guy, I, I'm all worshiping God, like going after God. It's right after I got saved. And he came up to me and he's like, what's up with all that carnal worship? And I wish I would have known this scripture. What about David? David brought some carnal worship. He said, my heart and my flesh cry out. Just go after it. Who cares what anybody thinks? Their opinions. You just lay it all out there. Go after God. I don't want people. You don't worry about people. <laughs> Number four, let me just say this. This is our closing point. Stay at his table. Stay at his table. Eat from his table. The enemy will offer you to eat from another table, to experience pleasure from other places. We call this compromise. The greatest problem with compromise is not that you sinned or didn't sin. That's not the greatest problem with it. The greatest problem with compromise is it stifles our hunger. So we're on this cruise. And, you know, cruises are known for people, like, packing on, like, 10 pounds. Right? Because you just eat, and the food's good. And so it, it, you go to these nice dinners, which I'll, I'll share the story sometime. We just had this great experience. And they, they bring you bread before anything else, right? 
So like I'm ordering, you know, they had this like, okay, if you want to live risky, then eat escargot. So I'm like, oh, heck yeah, bring me some escargot. You know what I mean? Whatever the crazy thing is, Leslie's grossing out. And so they bring you bread. And so all this food is coming at you, all this amazing food. But they bring bread is the first thing that they bring. And I eat a piece of bread. But I don't be like, hey, can I get some more bread? Because <laughs> what would happen if I keep eating bread? I would get full of bread. All the bread is is a filler, right? It's just something to kind of uh, hold me over until the meal comes, right? I mean, really, come on. Now, chips and salsa, that's a different story. But we're talking about bread. And it wasn't good bread. It was just like bread, you know, and you're putting butter on there. The butter's better than the bread, but it's something to put in your mouth, right? <laughs> you're going to eat something because you're kind of hungry, kind of hungry because you're on a cruise. And you're just you're hungry on a cruise is, 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 uh, is always. And so uh, they're bringing the bread. Ah. They're bringing the bread. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, how stupid would it be for me to eat like 15 pieces of bread? Because then I couldn't enjoy the steak that they're bringing out or the lobster they're bringing out. And so what we do with compromise is like we're filling up with filler. And we're like, I could be doing this. It's like, I want this, but I'll take this. Compromise says, I want God's presence, but I'll take this instead. One year, years ago, closing with this story, I promise, we went to Krispy Kreme on Thanksgiving Day. It was right after lesson I got married. We were like, we're going to go to eat at our family's house. I think Krispy Kreme was open. And so we decided to go get a donut. Now, dude, I love Thanksgiving meal. I love it. I love it better when the turkey's fried, but I loved it at that point. And so we decided to go buy Krispy Kreme and get a donut. That's awesome. Krispy Kreme donuts are amazing anytime, even on Thanksgiving, 24-7. You know, anytime is a good time for a Krispy Kreme donut. I mean, they're just amazing. You guys know how it is. kind of melts, especially when they're hot. And so we pull through Krispy Kreme, get our donut, whatever. How foolish would it be for me to go buy Krispy Kreme and be like, yeah, give me like four dozen and just eating the whole way. Hey, we're going to go eat some Thanksgiving. And when I get there, I'm not even hungry for the real meal. So what we do when we compromise, when it, we, we come in and we don't have any desire because we filled ourselves so full of the world, so full of the world's entertainment, so full of all the things in the demands of the world, and we're just filling up with all of that. We're filling up, and God's saying, will you just reserve some for the main course? We develop an appetite for God. Push the enemy's plate away. Listen, it, could be, it might not even be a sinful thing. It's just a distraction. Skip a movie. Have a prayer meeting. That's how you develop spiritual hunger. 